All right, those of you that are, are new, we are in a greater than series, and we're kind of, our, our silly question is, what if Jesus, what if Jesus ran for political office and his disciples were his campaign managers and speechwriters? And so how would they mess things up? And I know that Jesus didn't run for office, and I know that Jesus kind of and really shunned that when it came to earthly office, but Jesus is king, and he did have a stump speech, and he has platforms that we stand on as a part of his kingdom. And, and his stump speech was the Sermon on the Mount. And from the Sermon on the Mount, we see the different platforms that Jesus talks about that are a part of his kingdom. <clears throat> we are four weeks into this. I think we're in the fourth week. Four weeks of ten, and we're looking at a different platform each week. And last week, we took a look at the greater righteousness and that Jesus uh, said that your righteousness, righteousness has to be greater than the Pharisees, the religious leaders, those that have the best righteousness here on this earth. Your righteousness has to be greater than that. I know, I think I know this about everybody that's here. You want to be good. You want to be good. You want to be seen as good? You want to have good behavior? You know, you want, you want to get parole based on your good behavior, right? Parole of your, out of your doghouse or, you know, whatever you want to what parole out of. You want parole based on your good behavior. I think we all want to be good. But as Jim Collins wrote in his book, Good to Great, good is the enemy of great. See, what I know is this. That if we strive after good behavior, and if we strive for being good, we all can handle good, because we get to say what good is. If I am striving after good, and if I am pursuing good, I get to say what good is. And so therefore, I don't need to get great. And if it's about my good behavior, my good righteousness, I don't have to strive for anything greater, because I've got it covered. I'm all good. But if we're striving for great when it comes to righteousness, we need something better than good. We need something better than what we can do for ourselves. This is why Jesus tells us to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because if we are going after good, we don't have to hunger and thirst for righteousness. If good behavior is what we want, we don't have to hunger and thirst for righteousness because we get to determine what's good or not. But if we want something greater, like Jesus talked about last week with the greater righteousness, if we want something greater than what we can provide for ourselves or what, greater than what anybody can provide for us, then we have to hunger and thirst for something that's greater. And so as Jesus leaves us from, from last week, and he talks about how our righteousness has to be greater than the best people here on earth. How does it look? What is that supposed to look like? Because we might get charged up and like, yeah, hunger and thirst for his righteousness and hunger and thirst. And yeah, we're pursuing him. And then maybe later on in the week, you're like, wait a minute. What does that look like? Jesus, do you have anything practical for me? And in Jesus' brilliance, as his own speechwriter, Jesus' brilliance, 
he goes into six practical examples of what hungering and thirsting and actually hearing and following his righteousness looks like. For those of us that, that may have struggled with the Bible and may have struggled with God and saying, oh, the Bible, that's 2,000 years old and, and it, it's not practical for our lives today. Each one of these six things we've dealt with this week. Now, we're going to only look at two this week. We're going to look at two each week. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at these six different practical things that Jesus talked about. And all six of these, and these two included, we've dealt with this week. If we wonder how practical is the Bible for our own life, Jesus, 2,000 years ago, when he was talking about this, it works for us today because we've dealt with these. But what does it look like to not only hunger and thirst for a greater righteousness, but actually hear and follow as well? Because our hungering is only as good as what we ingest. If I'm hungry, and I talk about how hungry I am, and then I don't go fill my belly with food, you'd think I was nuts, right? Or you would tell me to stop complaining about being hungry. If you're not going to do anything about it, don't complain about being hungry. And it's the same thing spiritually, same thing with our righteousness. If we are going to hunger and thirst, hearing and following is the ingestion of the righteousness. And those of you that might have struggled with church at some point in time, and maybe struggling with church now, or struggling with God now, and, and, and you just kind of found your way back in, You've probably struggled with this, the gap between hungering and thirsting and hearing and following. See, if we are good, we don't have to hunger and thirst for a greater righteousness. And if we do, and if we pretend that we hunger and thirst for a greater righteousness, there's a gap between our hungering and thirsting and our hearing and following. And those of you that have struggled with church maybe have struggled with that exact thing. What you say... And what you actually do don't match up. And for us here at Crosspoint, those of us that call Crosspoint home, and this is, this is where we give in of that gap between hungering and thirsting and hearing and following is as close as possible to each other. So we've got to get our big boy pants on today. Because if we were writing this, just like the disciples, if we were writing this, this isn't how we would write this. Because Jesus is calling us to a greater righteousness than what we provide for ourselves. So we've got to get our big boy pants on if we want to hear and follow Jesus. So what does he say? Where does he start? And what it looks like to hear and follow a greater righteousness. Matthew 5.21 is where, where we'll be at. And if you've got a hardbound Bible, you can open that up. If you have a tablet or a smartphone, you can turn that on, get the Bible app out, and, and uh, follow along in the live events. We'll throw the verses up on the screen so you can follow along as well. We want the Bible as easy as possible to follow. If you don't have an easy-to-read version of the Bible, uh, I'd encourage you to download uh, the Bible app on your smartphone, or we give out hardbound Bibles uh, out there that you can take home and read. But Matthew 5.21, you have heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. 
But you're like, hold on a minute. Man, Jesus like, you've heard that it was said, and then he says you, you don't murder. Isn't that one of the big ten? Isn't that one of the top ten? You know, God had his own top ten list. Isn't that one of the top ten? You're like, yeah, that is one of the top ten. So is Jesus going to come against one of his own top ten? No. What he's doing is a little bit sarcastic. Remember, he, he, he's talking to uh, a, a large crowd, but he talks about the, the Pharisees and the greater and, and that our righteousness has to be greater than the righteousness of these religious leaders. Basically, he's saying, congratulations, boys. You never capped anybody? Good job. Fantastic. Yeah, congratulations. You never killed anybody, actually physically killed anybody. That's not, you know, when I told Mo- Moses that, that's not really what I had in mind. It's what he means by, you've heard it said, but I tell you. Not that he's giving a different interpretation than what was intended. Intended. He's actually telling them what was intended from the very beginning. See, Deuteronomy 6.6 6 says that these words I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. The law was always about what was in our heart. In a, in a change in our heart. And so when we're taking a look at this greater righteousness, we have to have a greater heart. And a greater righteousness produces a greater heart. And when we're talking about murder, we're really talking about our relationships with other people, a greater relationships or heart for relationships with others. And so Jesus says, you've heard it said, don't kill. But I say to you, if you are even angry with somebody, because where does anger start? In our heart. If you're even angry with somebody, you are subject to judgment. If you call somebody an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of fires of hell. You're like, oh my. Right? Because we, we've all dealt with this this week, Right? We've all dealt with this this week. We've all dealt with anger. Maybe we even called somebody an idiot this week. You're like, oh. And it's not even about the word idiot or what word. Because if you have different translations, the translations uh, uh, translate that word that New Living uses idiot, other things. It's not about the word. What Jesus is saying is that if you want to defame somebody, that's murder. We call that character assassination, right? And if we want to do it in our heart, what we're really doing is that we are making ourselves look good to ourselves. Because if we defame that other person in our heart, we're pulling them down and making ourselves look good. So it's like, well, my boss, man, I'd better... He's probably, and she's probably, and he's doing her, and what are, we, what are we doing? We're defaming them. Character assassination. So that we look good. And then when we actually tell this to somebody, we're trying to make ourselves look good to the other person. See, a good righteousness, we're okay. We're okay with this idiot stuff. We're okay with that. Because it makes us look good. But a greater righteousness isn't okay with that. It hits our heart because we are killing somebody. 
we're killing their character to ourselves. We're killing their character to somebody else. So what do we do instead? We lift people up. We encourage them. And if there's somebody that we consider an enemy, we remember Jesus told us that we love and we pray for our enemies and our persecutors. We never character assassinate anybody. And it bothers our heart when we do. It is about a specific word. It's about in our heart. We're bothered by it. Because we know that we have not hungered and thirsted for righteousness when we've done this. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, if you curse somebody, you are standing in line of judgment yourself. You are in danger of the fires of hell. Whoa, Jesus. I told you to get your big boy pants on, right? Why? See, when we curse somebody, what are we doing? Man, they are deserving of hell. Deserving of hell. They're deserving. Their actions, we're not character assassinating them. We are saying they are deserving of hell. And Jesus is saying, better be careful because you're next in line. See, good righteousness says, I'm okay with that because we have made our own line of good. And so just, you know, when we've made our own line of good, what ends up happening is that we always land north of that line. And then most everybody else lands south of that line. It's real convenient. And so everybody south of that line, they're deserving of hell. They're deserving of hell. But greater righteousness, a greater heart, has a problem with that. And it bothers them. Why? Because they know that they too are deserving of hell. That it's not their meal that they belly up to the table for. See, we, we went to the best barbecue restaurant in America last night, Jack Stack Barbecue up in Kansas City. Highly recommend it. And if you go look at my Facebook, you can see brontosaurus-sized ribs on my plate. All I did was belly up to the table with a hunger and thirst. I didn't make the ribs. I didn't kill the cow. I didn't cook the ribs. I didn't season the ribs. I did nothing except belly up to the table with a hunger and thirst. So I cannot claim anything other than I ate ribs and cheesy corn and um, uh, baked beans. That's all I can claim. So when we belly up to the table of righteousness, we can only claim a hunger and thirst. We can't claim the righteousness. We can't claim that we have ingested our own righteousness. But we can claim that we have ingested somebody else's. See, that's why when we say that other people are deserving of hell, we have missed the boat because we only come to the table with hunger and thirst, not our own ability to save us from hell. So a greater righteousness is bothered when 
we say somebody is deserving of a fate like that. Because we know that we too are deserving of that. And it is God's mercy and grace alone that we get to feast on his righteousness. But we all struggle with this. We've talked about it. We, we all deal with anger week in, week out. Some of us more than others, but we all deal with anger week in, week out. So what happens when we deal with anger and we struggle with it and we fall into the trap of anger? Jesus tells us this. So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple or just, just say you're just you know worshiping God in church, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. And I, I believe, and we'll see in a minute why I believe this, that, that, that I believe what Jesus is talking about is that if somebody is even perceived that you have treated them wrongly, that you have treated them without mercy, that you have treated them without peace, that you have treated them without purity, like the Beatitudes, a perception that you've treated them like that, that you are so bothered, so heart-stricken, that somebody thinks you've treated them without mercy, that even if you are in church worshiping God and you remember that Joe Bob thinks that you have treated them without mercy, that you are so cut to the heart about that, that you stop what you're doing and you make that right. What Jesus is saying is that we are proactive about our relationships. We are proactive about our reconciliation. We are proactive to make things right. What does our culture say? What does our culture say? If you've got a problem with me, you you're more than welcome to come right up to me and tell me you've got a problem. I'll just show you where to kiss, right? That's what our culture says. You can come right up to me and tell me you've got a problem with me. What Jesus says in the greater righteousness says, you be proactive. Even if somebody has perceived that you have not been merciful to them, you be proactive. Even if you're in church worshiping me, you be proactive to go make it right. And Jesus said 2,000 years ago, what do they not have? Cell phones, texting, Twitter, Facebook. I mean, we could do it right here without leaving, and nobody would even know. Is that what you're doing, Dave? Is that what you No, okay, all right, just checking. I did that in the first service and that you knew better than I would yeah. That's why Randy's sitting over there. <laughs> Today, you don't even have to leave. You can just, I'm sorry. Sin. Jesus is saying, be proactive. A greater righteousness, a greater heart says, I am going to be proactive about my relationships. I'm going to be proactive about my reconciliation. But what happens? What happens if it's not perceived that you really did do something that, was, that lacked mercy? When you are on the way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. And Jesus is like, don't be a fool. Don't lawyer up. 
settle out of court. Now, this is why I think the first one is more about perceived, because this one, Jesus is actually talking about when you do something that causes somebody to take you to court, when you do something that causes somebody to say, you defrauded me here, don't man up. Don't lawyer up. Own it. Be a man and own it. Be proactive. Stop out of court. Get your checkbook out. Say, what do I owe you? Settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge. He will hand you over to an officer. And you will be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you've paid the last penny. Jesus gets hyper-practical here. <laughs> be smart, fellas. Don't lawyer up. Own it. Settle out of court. Like, well, what if it doesn't go to court? What's the principle here? What is Jesus telling us? Be proactive when somebody's perceived an injustice and when you've actually caused injustice. Because we've all caused injustice in somebody else's life. We've all caused it. And so be proactive in making that right. See, this is the Zacchaeus principle. Remember Zacchaeus, you know, the wee little man? The wee little man was he? He climbed up in a sycamore tree, see what he can see? You know that guy? What did he see? He saw Jesus. What did he do? He climbed out of the tree, and when he went up to Jesus, he said, you know what? I'm going to give half my possessions away from the poor, to the poor, and everybody that I defrauded, that I took taxes from, unjustly, I'm going to return that four times as much. Luke 19.8. What did Jesus say? Oh, that's okay, Zacchaeus. That's all right. You don't have to do that. No. Jesus said, surely salvation has come to this house. Is Jesus saying that Zacchaeus worked for salvation? No. What Jesus said is saying is that a greater righteousness came because Zacchaeus was being proactive about relationships, proactive about reconciliation. Zacchaeus got his checkbook out and said, who, who have I defrauded? I defrauded you a $100? Here's four. I defrauded you a 1000 Here's 4000 He whipped out his checkbook and he made things right. More than right. He did that not because he was good. Because he was. He did that because he encountered a greater righteousness than what he had ever encountered before. We'll talk more about this at the end, but we deal with this and we don't always pass the test, do we? See, that's why Jesus said that hunger and thirsting is the bar. It raises the bar in one way because we're hungering and thirsting for something that's greater, but it lowers the bar in another way because he didn't say you have to be perfect. At the end of this chapter, he, he, he says a statement that you might, might read and go, wait a minute, but we've got to capture it in this whole context. The bar is hunger and thirsting, so when we fail the test... What do we do? Hunger and thirst. Right? 
when we fail the test and we hunger and thirst, what do we do? We repent. We're like, I blew it. I blew it. And when we repent, what is that showing? That we're hungering and thirsting after a greater righteousness because, because we realize our righteousness didn't match what was supposed to be. And so we're just like, I blew it, God. I really do want a greater righteousness. So the great thing about this is that Jesus is like just hunger and thirst. Wherever you find yourself, you hunger and thirst. That's it. That's it. That's all I'm asking. Hunger and thirst. Hear and follow. All you do is belly up to the table with a hunger and thirst. You can't create your own righteousness. So when you fail, hunger and thirst. That's it. I'll be here ready to give you my righteousness every single time. But that's just one of five, right? And this is the easiest of the five. Six, I'm sorry. One of six. This is the easiest of the six. Like if that's easy, where are we going next? <laughs> Some of you know. Matthew 5, 27. You've heard that the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. You're like, hey, that's one of the big ten and two. That's one of the top ten too. Is Jesus going to come against this? No. Remember? He's kind of being sarcastic here. Congratulations, fellas. You kept your toga on. Woohoo! Wow. That's your bar? That's your bar. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Oh. Big boy pants, right? He's saying... Hey, congratulations, you kept your toga on. In reality, but in your mind, you haven't. In your mind, you haven't. And that is the same as adultery. So this, is, this, is, this has been my week. Preaching this sermon on Sunday. Earlier this week, a Victoria's Secret catalog shows up in the mail. No, Nicole doesn't get Victoria's Secret catalog. No, no, no. There's some other Kennard, female Kennard, in Republic, not an address anywhere close to ours. Not, it's not like in our little subdivision or anything like that. That this week, of all weeks where I'm going to preach on lust... That catalog decides to show up in our mailbox. Either a good thing or a bad thing that I was the one that got the mail and not our kids who usually get it. And then on top of that, on top of that, we go to Great Wolf Lodge this week, which is a motel with an indoor water park, which is basically like a Victoria's Secret catalog just walking around for the entire two days, right? Like bathing suits everywhere. I've had, I've had girls just argue with me when I said, you know, guess what? A toothpiece is just like a bra and panties. They're like, no, it's not. I'm like, yes, it is. It is. It is. No, it's not. Oh, I, no, I, I take that back. In fact, it's worse. You know what? Granny panties cover even more than a two-piece. This is something we deal with week in, week out, day in, day out. 
Something we deal with all the time. And turn on the TV. New hit series on NBC. Camp. Just in case you haven't seen any of the previews. It's talking about sexual temptation, sex, masturbation, all in the context of teenage camp. Everywhere. Everywhere. And our students should rise up and say, look, we want you to raise the bar for us. Nothing about all oh, the filth. And the, no, just say, we want you as adults to raise the bar. Can you please? Raise the bar for us. Help us. But not just raise the bar for us, but raise the bar for you and be an example. Students would have less of an issue with sexual temptation if we raised the bar for ourselves as adults. They'd have less of an issue with drugs if we raised the bar for ourselves and alcohol if we raised the bar for ourselves. They'd have less of an issue with bullying if we raised the bar for ourselves in our boardrooms. Most of our teenage issues and our student issues come because they just simply look at us and mirror what they see from us as adults. Do we as adults want a greater righteousness? Or are we just content with our own goodness? This is what Jesus is asking us. Are we content with this gap between what we pretend to pursue and what we really should be pursuing? So Jesus gets hyper-practical again. What if we find ourselves dealing with this? Because we will. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. You're like, wow, talk about big boy pants. Holy cow. Does that mean like I have to come back next week and if I've lost it, I'll boom. You know, and everybody's like, oh, I know what you did this week. What is this about? This is hyperbole. But what Jesus is saying is be proactive. Be proactive in a greater heart when it comes to romance. Be proactive when it comes to having a greater heart in romance. We don't let it come to us because we know what will happen if we let it come to us. We'd be proactive. So, fellas, this is what it means for us. If you're old school, you burn the nudies. If you're new school, you get the computer and TV out of your room. You unhook the internet. You get accountability filters on, on your, on your uh, uh, computer, triple X watch, that, that sends to some other guys that you're accountable with the questionable websites that you've gone to. I've had this for myself. 
having web, of having this software that, that sends the questionable websites. It's a whole lot different when we think somebody's looking over our shoulder, isn't it? See, why in our house we have our TV and our computer only in public areas? I mean, when our kids get to be teenagers, they're not going to say, hold on, I'll come to dinner in a minute, you know, I'm finishing up here. If the computer is in a place that we all can see it. Right? Ladies, since you all don't struggle with lust at all, just to kind of hit a couple, just so that we, our guys don't feel like they're just picked on. Soap operas? Is it stirring within you? Stirring within you something? What we call female porn, you know, the books? Fifty Shades of Grey, is there something in reading that that's stirring within you? Cut off the hand. Get rid of the books. What are we pursuing? Are we pursuing our own goodness? Because our own goodness says, I'm not, I'm not as bad as the other person, right? Our, 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 our own goodness, if we're pursuing our own goodness, we're like, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. It could be worse. There's a former youth minister, get this question all the time, how far is too far? It's the wrong question. It's the wrong question. The right question is, how close to God can I get? How much can I hunger and thirst for Him and His righteousness? See, a greater righteousness doesn't want to have any part of it. Not because we believe we're greater, because we know we're not. And that all we bring to the table is a hunger and thirst. And when we bring that to the table, we hunger and thirst for His righteousness. And so we have that deep breath moment and go, I know what my body's telling me. But because I know what my body is telling me and what Jesus has told me, I'm going to hunger and thirst for His righteousness. And I'm going to hear and follow His righteousness. Where's our heart? Where's our heart? What is our heart pursuing? Are we like Job? Job 31.1 I made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust at a young woman. Are we like Job? Or are we just pursuing being good? Because good is the enemy of great. And again, we're all going to deal with this and we're not always going to pass the test, are we? We're not always going to pass the test. So what happens when we don't pass the test? We hunger and we thirst for God's righteousness. It means we repent. It means we confess. And repentance is confession with action. I said, God, I've blown it. I need your forgiveness. I need your righteousness. I want it. We hunger and we thirst. For those of you that, again might be struggling with the whole church thing. 
might be just checking this thing out, and you're like, oh, I'm not sure about the whole righteousness thing. It's all right. We want you to poke the tires, kick the tires. And what this is, is this is just simply laying a greater righteousness out to you and going, wouldn't this be better? Going back to the relationships deal, wouldn't it be better without drama? Wouldn't it be better if we just didn't stir up the drama ourselves, that we were proactive in getting rid of the drama? Wouldn't it be better if we just didn't follow just every whim and desire of our heart? Last time we talked about this topic, I showed a video that said that that when we lost and when we view porn, and when we uh, masturbate, and when we do all this, we are rewiring our brain, literally rewiring our brain to think that's what sex is all about. We are rewiring our brain for that sort of romance. And don't you think the creator of our brains knows this? That the creator of our brains is like, I, I don't want that for you. I want life for you. I want life for you. That's death. A rewiring of our brain as it's created is death. Don't you think our Creator knows this? See, the law is righteousness. The law is life. The law is pure and good and right. And this is what God wants for us. So, what do we want to pursue? Death or life? And as Paul puts it in Colossians 3, so put to death, put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within us. We don't, we don't watch stuff just not to watch it because we're legalistic. or any, We don't watch it because we know what's in our heart and know what's lurking in our heart. And what can come up and pounce on us. There are trolls in our heart looking to devour us. Don't pet the troll. Don't hit the troll. Kill the troll that's in the heart. Put the troll to death. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater. Worshiping the things of this world. It isn't about being legalistic, just to, just to, just to not do it, just to not do it. It's about putting to death the trolls that lurk in our heart. What are we pursuing? What is our, pursuit, what is our heart pursuing? Is our heart playing with the troll? Or does our heart want to put to death the troll? Which direction is our heart leaning? As the band comes up in place, this reflection time gives us a chance to take the temperature of our heart and the direction of our heart. And this people is a safe people to struggle. Because if our level, if our pursuit is good, we can't struggle with this stuff. 
We can't come to somebody else and say, I've struggled with this. Because, because that makes us look bad, and that gives ammunition for this other person to look good. But when the level is we hunger and thirst for righteousness, us coming and saying, I struggle with this, is saying, look, I want to hunger and thirst for this. And the other person, since the level is hunger and thirst, they say, me too. I struggle with this. Me too. I just want to hunger and thirst. So let's do this together. This is what it means to hunger and thirst. This is what it means to be a safe place. Because if we were all good, looking out for our goodness, it wouldn't be safe. And really, quite frankly, if all you're out to do is look out for your goodness, we want to eject that culture as quickly as possible. So either we ask you to repent, or we ask you to leave. Because this is a safe place. And a pursuit for good is not safe. It is the enemy of pursuing righteousness and hunger and thirsting for righteousness. So if you go talk to somebody right now, what you will receive is, look, I'm struggling too. I'm hungering and I'm thirsting too. And I struggle with this too. So let's struggle together. So during this time, the question is, what is our heart pursuing? Are we pursuing our goodness? Or are we pursuing God's greatness? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you that we can even pursue your greatness. I thank you that we can hunger and thirst for your greatness. That we can hunger and thirst for your great righteousness. Let that, let your righteousness be our life. When we fail, that we hunger and thirst. When we got it, that we hunger and thirst. That we know we only belly up to the table with the hunger and thirst. And that you provide the feast of your righteousness. Where we struggle, let us be honest enough to struggle with others. And where we've seen you give us victory, let us give back unto others that want victory. Use your righteousness in power in people's life to say, enough! I want more. And let us use this time to pursue your greatness. It's in your name we pray. Amen.